John Galloway Love absolutely, positively did not know what rejection meant. John was a 35-year-old sheep farmer living in the middle of the in 1905, and he might have been the most stubborn man in the whole state. When scrappy Scotsman arrived in Wyoming, his horses died from poison water. Instead of returning to his well-off parents, John walked the last hundred miles and took a job herding other men's cattle. So it was that on October 20th, 1905, when a beautiful young schoolteacher moved into a ranch along the Sweetwater River, John fell madly in love with her, and he started making the chilly 11-hour ride to go see her. The woman was named Ethel Waxham, and she was a 23-year-old college graduate from a good family. She spoke four languages, she wrote poetry, and before accepting the teaching job, she had done volunteer work in the slums of New York City. This was an educated, well-to-do woman stepping off a stagecoat in nowhere, Wyoming. When John approached Ethel Wexham, he would have seemed like a good prospect for a husband. He had his own flock of sheep, his own land along Muskrat Creek. He had never been married. He was unfailingly polite and he had attended college at the University of Nebraska before he had been kicked out. But Ethel had plans to leave the ranch to get her master's degree in Colorado. So when he proposed marriage, she turned him down flat. This is what Ethel said about John in her diary. Quote, his face was kindly with shrewd blue twinkling eyes, but his voice was most particular and characteristic. Close analysis fails to find a charm of it. A little Scotch dialect, a little slow draw, a little nasal quality. Ethel was intrigued by John, but clearly she was not impressed. But John never gave up. For five years, he wrote her letters while she was away getting her master's degree. Always letting her know his intentions, that he loved her and he wanted to marry her, but he would take whatever she would give. Eventually, Ethel would marry John Love because John was funny and quaint. But most importantly, John was unfazed by rejection and he was always kind. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet and get to the juicy facts. This is part two in a special two-part episode about rejection. If you'd like to hear about resilience and how to build armor against rejection, you can check out our last episode. Because today... We're talking about Rejection Part 2, the online dating market. According to Business Insider, in 2014, Tinder got around 1 billion swipes per day. Compare that to its matches, which were only 12 million per day. That's a rejection of 988 million every day in 2014. Sure, these rejections weren't seen by the user, since it only shows up when Tinder matches you. But imagine if John Galloway Love, 
our lonely shepherd from Wyoming, was never able to hear the word no in person? What if instead of sending all those love letters, he was ghosted by text? We can't talk about modern rejection without addressing the $3 billion elephant in the room. Because that's what the online dating industry has become. It's a $3 billion business. And to keep people hooked on their platform, dating services like Tinder, eHarmony, and Match.com have come to train you to become rejection resilient. Rejection resilience. This is a virtue that used to be rare. And having resilience meant you had grit. Like poor old John Love. Consider this. eHarmony UK has... In their official advice section, a subheading called Build Your Resilience. Quote, one of the best ways to deal with rejection is to feel good about yourself. If you're comfortable in your own skin, authentic when you go on dates, certain in the knowledge what is meant to be for you won't pass you by, then rejection will be accepted as part of the dating process. Quote, rejection during the dating process can help your relationship in the future. Knowing you can handle it and building your resilience can mean that when you do meet that special someone, you're stronger and more confident. So that really kind of sounds to me more like marketing. Um, you, you used a phrase there that they had on their site, which is that you know, um, certain in the knowledge that uh, what is meant for you won't pass you by. That almost sounds like serendipity talk. Like they're saying that yeah, it's sales. It's not science. What it's saying is, is keep using as long as you can. Don't give up. <laughs> right. Please don't give up on love because... They're dangling that care. Yeah, giving up on love means giving up on our platform and you're paying for this. And that last part makes it sound like your your self-esteem would be so low, you'll be lucky someone signed off on you at the end. Right. Or or that it's empowering. That language really sounds to me like they're, they're trying to make it sound like rejection is empowering for you, which that's not really true. I mean, it... We talked on our last episode about building resilience, and it really comes more down to granular labeling than getting rejected on a dating site. So that's our goal for today's episode. What can we learn from John Love, the master of rejection resilience? And what myths can we bust about the dating rejection? Myth one, online dating is a level playing field. Because if it's all on the computer, it should be simple as matching personality tests right? Myth two, women take rejection hardest because they're more in touch with their feelings. Or wait, maybe men take rejection harder because they're more apt to lash out. Myth three, Elliot Roger, dubbed the incel killer, murdered six people in 2014, and he claimed it was because he was rejected so many times. Is it true? Does rejection by the opposite sex turn us into killers? But before we get into our myths, we want to keep reminding ourselves that dating used to be a slow, brutal process that took work and dedication. That way, we can all feel better about being ignored on Tinder and eHarmony. So that's the part where I'm most interested in is about this uh, shepherd because... Uh, something tells me that it wasn't as easy for him as swiping right on his the love of his life. Uh, was was he? What did it take for him? Obviously, not just hanging on his cell phone to get Ethel to agree to a date, right? Well, they were in their very rural Wyoming, um, so 
this was the good old days. There were no computers. There was no public transportations. He had to ride a horse 11 hours to see her. <laughs> so that's not something we could even say we understand. I'll, I'll barely spare more than like two paragraphs uh, <laughs> on a text message. So that that's 11 hours. That's a lot. And Mr. Love was a man's man. He built his ranch with his own hands. Not, he didn't have a construction crew, an architect. He okay. cut down the trees. He built it. So he wasn't a manufactured home. He, he... <laughs> and he lived in the middle of nowhere. There were no luxuries like restaurants or a store. So he lived off the land. He was a true, um, a true cowboy. So he had to build eHarmony with sticks <laughs> to, to get a date with Ethel is what you're saying. Now let's remember old supply and demand. He wasn't in New York City, okay? So there weren't a lot of women around. There's probably <laughs> no women around. Okay, so that brings us basically to uh, persistence in dating. Um, a lot of people go onto the online market. Oh, by the way, this is the, the, the science behind uh, eHarmony and, and who is actually getting dates online. Um, we can't all be John Love. Uh, his his level of persistence is insane, as we'll find out uh, during this episode. Um, but people started noticing pretty early on that um, not everyone was getting dates on eHarmony. It's not a one-to-one ratio where half are women, half are men, and they're just connecting people up. Like It's not like they go down the top of the list. They connect tens to tens, eights to eights, nines to nines. Um, they are uh, letting people pick their own dates and they're swiping based on their own interests and they're looking at people's profiles and evaluating each other on their own merits, which means it's a fully biased system. Uh, So I've heard guys, I mean, don't look this up because it's kind of crushing and a little bit sad to hear, Uh, but there's a lot of people who leave eHarmony and uh, Match and all these dating websites and a lot of them are guys who leave and they complain that they never get uh, offers. They don't get people asking for dates. They don't get people to communicate with them. Uh, so I went digging through the research because I was like, well, how is their match system working up? Um, so in today's market, in today's dating market, uh, just to give you a broad overview, we're going to start broad and then narrow it. Stanford says that um, 39% of hetero couples today report meeting their partners online. Back in 2009, it was weird if you met somebody who had met their partner online. It was down to 22% in 2009. So it's almost doubled by now. Uh, and it's almost, it, that's nearly 40%. So we're coming up on two six, or, you know, two-fifths of people who uh, met their partner online. And, and here is the data that kind of talks about how the matches go. Um, so this is from a Medium article. It's medium.com. Uh, quote, the bottom 80% of men in terms of attractiveness are competing for the top 22% of women and the top 78% of women are competing for the top 20% of men. Uh, and this, this is uh, by um, a, a group called or, or a poster called Worst Online Dater. So he's not an actual, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, he's not a research scientist. He's posting this because he looked at um, uh, uh, research that came out and a book that called out, uh, came out called Dataclism. Um, so he went online and he treated Tinder 
like it's an economy by percentages. So the economy is likes and swipes, is, is how much people how much are people getting paid. And ultimately what he's saying is that um, the the top 80% of women are competing for the top 20% of men. So if you're... So 80% are being ignored. Yes. If, if you are not one of the top 20% men in attractiveness and uh, ability... This to me sounds like a clothes dryer that no one catches anybody. <laughs> a very small percentage of the clothes get dry. Right. Um, uh, when we talk persistence and um, uh, resilience against rejection... This is where the rubber meets the road. Online dating to me. I mean, you're going to get rejected. In our last episode, we talked about jobs and writing groups and things like that. Um, If you're looking to date online, you really quite literally have to build a very unique type of resistance to rejection. Now, um, there's a graph sitting in our our doc, and this is widely available if you look for this on Google. Um, Just just write in uh, how men rate women and how women rate men. And this is for OkCupid. Um, I mentioned Dataclism. It's a book by the author or, or the um, programmer who made OkCupid. Um, and it, it means that uh, over the course of the dating uh, website's life, men have been waiting, uh, rating women based on looks. Same thing with women. Women will go through other people's profile and they'll, they'll rate them based on looks. Um, now, what you should have, ideally, if people are being unbiased, they're just rating others like on a scale of 1 to 10, like hot or not. If, if you're a man rating women, on that scale, uh, if you look at the men's ratings, it's almost a perfect bell curve. So, so this is men rating women. You would think that um, a lot of people in public speaking, they say that um, porn, uh, pornography, online pornography has skewed men. To, to devalue women. That, that, that they don't think women are attractive enough because they're used to seeing porn stars they're sexual online. sexual objects. They're yeah. sexual objects, yeah. They've turned women into objects. However, this OkCupid graph on how men rate women, it is a perfect bell curve. They, the majority of... The, the literal average, uh, more than... you know the, the bulk of men rate people at the average. Spoiler, women's is it. <laughs> okay, yeah, spoiler, yes. <laughs> So, so it's. I like how Sorry, I like I your wait. pure enjoyment from seeing this graph, and now that you under, uh, now that you're picking up on it, yeah, yeah. The the men's is a perfect bell curve. Uh, there are the same amount of ones as there are tens. Like like men have a very very uh, um, predictable and and almost mathematic system of rating, and because it shows such an easy uh, natural average. Uh, it, it looks like men are actually pretty even with their rating. How women rate men, according to Dataclism and OkCupid statistics, is wildly low. So, um, again, I, I encourage everyone to look up this graph on their own. Uh, we'll have a link off to our website. Um, because rating from, let's see, there are uh, two, uh, seven bars here. So it's, it's almost a 1 to 10. Um, women skew men all the way down in ratings. So they, they rate almost no men as perfect tens. So that, that it's lower than 0%. Um, the next one down, uh, so like a, the rating of like a 7 or 8, there's only 2% in that category. And it goes up the lower you go. So women are skewing men that they're looking at lower on average until the bulk of all men are basically 2s and 3s, according to women. So those two graphs, men men have... 
basically a, a statistically average I for women. They, they, they rate everybody on sort of this bell curve. Women devalue men on OKCupid or, or, or lower their, their, their stat value uh, on this. I can see them digging into each one and looking a little harder. Yeah. And men looking for someone who's in their league. Yes, there, there there's some truth to that. I, I I think you're right. And and Todd and I right now we're looking at a graph and we're about to put our own biases into what we're seeing. So don't take us for scientists. Um, but I, I think there is some of guys are looking for people who are in their league. And there's also a little bit of um, guys are more visual. Like the science, there have been tests to prove this that we we look and our um, our survival as a species is somewhat dependent on guys being um, visual and, and using visual to be, uh, to be able to gauge um, uh, potential partners. Um, it's so hard for me to not just like at every statement to be like, guys are dogs, they look at women as visual objects. But, but there is, this is how the statistics shake out, is, is men are apparently better at gauging the average. Whereas women skew men far below the average, uh, the bulk of men far below the average. Can I say it? What? Women are being too hard on us. A, a little bit. That's what this... <laughs> this isn't our opinion. Statistically, <laughs> is... women are, are putting more men below the average than the average would support. So I think that's the most diplomatic way we can say it. Um, and, and nobody feels good about this, by the way. So what we said at the, at the, at the beginning of this, that um, 80% of women are fighting for the top 20% of men on dating websites... This is basically held up across the board, and this doesn't make anyone feel better. Uh, this is a study from uh, the APA. If you're wondering how people feel using dating websites, this survey was for women. They were trying to find out how women felt while they were on dating websites. So this, they studied um, 1,044 women and 273 men. Uh, and, quote, whether they're swiping left or right, male users of the popular dating app Tinder appear to have lower levels of self-esteem, and all users appear to have negative perceptions of body than those who don't use the app. Uh, and then this also from the APA quote, Tinder users report having lower levels of satisfaction with their faces and bodies and having lower levels of self-worth than the men and women who did not use Tinder. And this is from uh, Jessica Strubel, uh, who is a PhD at the University of North Texas, who um, that's what they pulled for this article. Um, so basically that tells me that... Um, Yes, the the what we're competing for online is skewed. If you're not in that t uh, top twenty percent of men, you really, really need rejection resilience because women aren't going to pay attention to you nearly as much unless you're in that top twenty percent. And whether you're a man or woman, you feel bad using a dating website. Like like inherently, it lowers your self esteem. Yeah, because you've been there for a decade. Right. <laughs> Now that's we're gonna we're gonna get into this a bit more. Um, so spoiler, uh, there is a, a, a good outlook, a positive outlook, and the positive takeaway for me is what we said right at the top of this, which is forty percent of people do meet their match online. So there is hope, uh, and and resilience is the biggest part of that that I can see from the data. And since that resilience is such an important part of our story today, uh, could I ask you um, how was Ethel? Uh, doing with John paying her this attention and coming to see her all the time. Ethel was a special woman. She wrote in her diary about how she was an educated person. She going to Wellesley from a good family, and have we done some study about the social class at the time? Yeah, not a likely uh, wife material for a farmer. 
Right. A, a, a shepherd who got kicked out of college, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And she did volunteer. She loved children. She spoke four languages. She loved writing, poetry, which is not really what you think would be a good fit for him working <laughs> on the farm. Yeah. That. The most poetry most farmers I met know are curse words. That's, that's yeah. the biggest poetry they do. Feed the effing pigs, right? Right. Now, she moved to Wyoming. Now, where they were in Wyoming was so remote. And this will, you know, 1905. The ink wells, because they used to write with those, mm-hmm. would be frozen. That's how cold it was. <laughs> so there's no forced furnace with air conditioning. Right. All right, students, take out your ink block and uh, try to write with that. But she melted my heart when I was reading about her. She said there, she had seven students, and they were very different than the kids that she grew up with. They had never, none of them could read. They were very simple. And uh, she would ask them questions, and they would they would answer in a whole other universe. And okay. she and she used to be she used to be just joy about just how beautiful these people were. So she was a special kind of person, and she wanted to become more educated so she could become a better educator. So she could come back and help these kids. Oh, a remarkable so, woman, educated and big-hearted, so and I beautiful. Totally get why John was into her. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And twenty-three-year-olds and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, twenty-three-year-old school teacher. So John had something going for him there. <laughs> Great taste. So we picked this because um, we have evidence of their courtship. Um, th- this is such a great story because uh, on eHarmony, you only get so many words before somebody rejects you. John sent letters, nonstop letters to Ethel once she had left the ranch. Um, and then so, she said what a nice it was to have a couple of letters in hand before she rolled back. So she could answer one for two. Right. That tells She's you a, how often he was writing is she would stack a few up before answering them. And it tells you about her kind of her personality. You know? Yeah. She's a firecracker. Right? Yeah. No, I, after reading these, lo- these letters, I, I kind of love them both. So um, would you mind reading uh, uh, a couple of examples of John's letters? Dear Miss Waxham. I, for one, am glad your curiosity led you to drift up here to Wyoming. And now my supreme desire in life is to persuade you to come back with love and kisses, ever yours, John Love. Now, this is her response. Okay. (laughs) This I love. Dear Mr. Love, since you began to sign your name as you do, you must have known that I would not like it and would not continue. Since we are only friends... I wrote you not to expect any more letters from me unless you stopped it. <laughs> Ethel Waxel. <laughs> so she's she's not having his 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 freshness. No, it's inappropriate. And she puts him right in the friend zone. Yeah. She said, bro, don't talk to me like that. I'm not your <laughs> So can can I read his response real quick? His once he got he he he's got the uh, knock it off with that love and kisses nonsense. His response is, Dear Miss Waxham, I will always sign all letters properly in the future. Please forgive my error in the past. I suppose that I ought to be satisfied with your friendship, but I won't be. Yours sincerely, John G. Love. This is some old school flirting. It is. It absolutely <laughs> I is. Love, I love it. I, I, I think the, the big um, lesson, the, if we can put this into a modern context, it's that um, he didn't start becoming sort of like just like friend zone like like whatever you say he he lets his intention be clear every single time he writes her but he's always polite like he switches to yes i'm gonna i'll address you as you want 
I'll be polite, but I will never uh, obfuscate what I want. So I think that's fantastic. I think so, too. I'm wasting her time or his. Right, yeah. No one's wasting everyone's time. So this kind of um, brings me to another point, uh, which we want to make about rejection. Which gender feels it the hardest? Which gender feels it more keenly, men or women? And, of course, the listeners know this. We can only really speak to the male point of view for this. Um, I, I know people listening might, might think we're being hard on women, especially with the dataclism part, but um, we really want to break down the science of who reacts worse and how do people react gender-wise. And I want to start by asking you, Todd, as a male, how hard have you taken rejection in the past? I've always felt like I'm oversensitive. Too sensitive for a man. And I know it sounds not like I'm trying to be macho or anything, but I feel like it bothers me for longer than it does most people. It probably doesn't. Everyone probably feels that way. Yeah. And I think a lot of times mask men will mask their feelings with how they were screwed over, which is the same thing as being heartbroken, but they right. go a little more aggressive. But they're not yes. really telling how they really feel. That is such a great way to say it. Um, we're going to get into that aggressiveness. The, a lot of today's episode is about how men feel uh, justified being aggressive after being rejected. Um, so, so that's your personal. That's that's how you respond to rejection. Well, I got a story. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I've been rejected a lot. So, Joe put in the notes to find a, a business rejection or personal rejection. I had a long list, man. <laughs> <laughs> as long as my arm. So. I could it's probably own episode top three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm going to give you one that... Um, so I used to... I was very involved in this yoga studio. And I would go five times a week. And I was very involved in the community. I went to all their parties. I knew all the instructors. I knew the owners. I had... It was my whole social outlet. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the women there was... She was perfect for me. She was my type. She was my age. She was beautiful and brilliant. And I had the biggest crush on her. She was interested in me. We went out. I had a great time. She broke up with me really fast. And I was shocked because I liked her so much. I didn't understand, right? Right. <laughs> I was really floored because I, I kind of, you know, when you've been in some relationships, you see that this is a good mate. Or this is your head in a certain way. I was, I was devastated. So I go back to the yoga studio. And now it's kind of embarrassing because she told nobody about it. I told everybody about it. <laughs> so I'm going, I'm saying, I'm going to go back to the store. I'm, going, I'm waiting in the bathroom. And I look up. And we're all in line. It's a small studio. There's a poster of her, of her next special event that she's doing at the thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have to see her picture. So then I go into class. And because she has an upcoming event there, she does these seminar things. Every single time we do a class, they talk about how great she is and how we need to go to her class. That's a, <laughs> wow. It was just like taking this knife and they're saying, she's such a beautiful woman. She's such a talented dancer and singer. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. I can't only take so much of this. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them what she did to me. Right. Well, that having a reminder every time you go to did, did you find a different yoga studio what was the answer to that you know, I'm proud that I stuck in there I think oh, that it was just so there was just so much love and community there I just couldn't leave it and long term I'm glad I did but it was painful for a long time because every time I went there it's what I thought of yeah uh, I'll, I'll briefly share um, not it, it's 
I am so averse to uh, not just reaction, uh, rejection, uh, but judgment. I do stupid things to avoid um, both rejection and judgment. Um, for uh, so I've I've gone out on horrible dates where I've been rejected. My answer is always as soon as I sense rejection, I leave. Uh, like to the point where like I I won't have a ride home and I'll walk out of a bar and just be like, well, see you later, and then I'm just like walking home for ten miles. Um, one of my favorites was, uh, I didn't, uh, I'm, I'm very naive. So like, uh, I, I was in college and I was taking a math class and there's a woman who sat by me every day. Uh, it wasn't group seating. It wasn't like, like one table was four people around it in a circle. No, it was individual seats. She would come sit at my table pretty much every day. Uh, and by the end of the math class, I was so confused and so um, blind to to other people and, and their intentions with me. Um, I loaned her like a math tutorial because I thought she was that bad at math. Like, why is she sitting by me for the you know like, like the thirtieth day in a row? Hint, and, hint. Yeah, hint, hint. Right. And she came in and she had had her hair done and she she looked really nice, like she was all dressed up. And I, I think it was like the last day of class, so she was she was trying to put out as as best a hint as possible. She might as well have thrown a, a cocktail napkin in my face. <laughs> exactly. And, and she's winking at you. And you're right. And laughing. I was like, I was like, here's a tutorial book that helped me. See you later. And I just walked out. And then and then a year later, I was thinking about. It, I was like, oh, oh, that was probably oh, you big idiot. That was a hint. Yeah. That was opportunity. Right. And but you you're thinking that you probably were so afraid of looking foolish or yeah that's it is is, is, reaching out romantically and then have it shut down they said it's not worth the try right or or when i do try to pick up on someone and i get rejected uh, like i said i i I, there's no uh let me let me persist like john love no there would have been no letters to ethel waxham i would i would have rode the 11 hours the moment she was like no you're weird and nasally it would have been me riding 11 hours back within minutes. Like, it just would have been like, well, let me get on my horse. Like, so. I think that's common with a lot of people. Like, it stops your momentum. It doesn't just stop you and you think, oh, the next person I ask is going to say yes because these three said no. You don't think that way. You wait three more opportunities to go again. Right. Like, you don't just lose momentum. You go in reverse. Right. Yeah. There's 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 a, a U-turn that happens. Um. So... With with that out of the way, us us telling the listener our biases. And, I feel and, better actually to get it out. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is kind of nice. It's cathartic. Um, the good news and the bad news is men and women have different reactions to rejection, and that's that's really a no does statement. I, I know that people listening are like, yeah, of course they do. Um, but we're going to look at two different studies that talk about um, how we actually reject, react to rejection and why it's different than how Hollywood portrays it and how we think about it. So first up, uh, a study from the University of Toronto. Uh, they wanted to see how women uh, took acceptance and rejection from men. Uh, and, and it was they, they made up fake profiles, fake dating profiles. And women were given um, accepted and rejected uh, uh, notices from men at random. And they were picking from uh, two men. One was the high status male and the other one was the low status male. So they would have these guys that physically look, you know, like very, very obviously one's better looking than the other. Um, And women, when they reacted to the high status males who rejected them. um, Okay, so actually I'm gonna do this a little bit different. Todd, in movies, 
uh, it, there's like 70s um, uh, there's, there's like a really famous director that did like 16 Candles and, and Pretty in Pink and all these movies um, usually what happens is there's like a guy following around the attractive woman he wins her over in the end he the wins end. her over in the end <laughs> usually she gets rejected by the jock and then he wins her over yeah, he treats the jock treats her like garbage and this guy worships her and finally she comes around she comes around yes yeah. So the part where she comes around might be complete and total fiction, according to the study. So, uh, again, we're busting myths here. Um, so when women were rejected by the high-status men, they had a, a high degree of what's called uh, derogatory, or, or they derogated the men, meaning that they would get rejected, and then they would start bad-mouthing the high-status men who rejected them. And instead of going to the lower status male, basically instead of, of doing the pretty and, yeah. The, lowering their standard. They, instead of John Hughes movies lowering their standards and going with the guy who accepted them, they rejected both. They, they were statistically more likely to reject both the high status male who rejected them and the low status male who wanted them. They would reject both. And basically double down on their own standards, their own number. So then give go for even more higher attractive yeah they, they would continue going for um high status males and um this to me I, I i tried afterwards so this is just my interpretation of this study i tried to understand on an evolutionary basis why that's happening why why that would be uh, a good thing because one would think that being rejected by a high status male means your next move is go toward a lower number so if you get rejected by a seven why not go for a six or a five um, but it really actually makes sense in a tribal way. Um, if you are in a tribe and you know that you personally are a six, your number will go down the moment you pick a lower status male. If you, if you pick up on a, 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 a caveman three. <laughs> Lowers your stock. Then suddenly your stock plummets. <laughs> Everyone yeah. knows it without you. Yeah. Right. And that's you forever. It fixes your number. So it actually, after reading this um, this completely Hollywood-roining, movie-ending-roining study, I realized that it actually kind of made sense to our evolution, that you would want to continue being a harsh selector after uh, a high-status male had rejected you. So now we're going to the other, the other side of the studies. Um, this is from an Australian study, uh, and it's uh, the journal... Uh, it's the Journal of Aggressive Behavior, and it tested 150 hetero men who were showed uh, pre-recorded videos of sexualized, in quotes, or non-sexualized women. Uh, and this was taken during a fake university dating site. Um, and the way they gauge this, uh, I'll read it um, the way they, they state it in the study, so I don't sound like I'm perving on women in a study, because that's not happening. This is all by text. Um, they looked at women who were wearing neutral clothing, who said they were not open to casual sex. That's one profile the men were presented. The other profile was women in, quote, attractive clothing, who said they were open to casual sex. So literally, here's a sex object. Here's a woman who's not a sex object. Uh, and they had men uh, try to um, get a date with them on this fake online dating service. Now, the way they did this is they would have, again, like the other study, they'd be randomly rejected by either the sexualized woman or the neutral woman. Um, and 
then they were given after this test. So so it was, you know, which one do you want? And the guys would, would say, I want to date with this woman. And then they would either be rejected or they weren't, depending if they were in the control group. And then after being rejected, uh, the men would be given a reaction test, meaning they were sitting at the computer and they had to react to something on the screen, like they click a button fast or something. And they were given the option to uh, play against the women who had been on the, the quote-unquote dating profile and so they were given the option to punish the women who were losing this game against them. So if they reacted quickly to whatever's on the screen, they could blast the other person with white noise. So they're both wearing headphones, and the punishment was this annoying, screeching noise sound in their ears. And um, I hope this doesn't surprise you too much. The men who had been rejected by potential sexual partners, the sexualized women... They were more willing to be more aggressive and to punish the women more with these settings. So when they would win on this game, they would blast. They, they, their numbers were higher. They could choose how high the blast was going to be. And they would blast the sexualized women with higher amounts of noise and with more frequency. I totally believe that. Poor sports. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the Men who had been rejected by sexualized women were poor sports about it and they were willing to be aggressive about it. Um, now that, that brings me to, again, Joe's tribal takeaway, which is, uh, if a, if a, this goes for any mammal almost, like it's not just humans, it's if you are a male and you are rejected by a female, your next move is to reassert dominance, reassert your aggressiveness because your number is tied to how, you know, how aggressive you are, how much testosterone you have, um, which makes it, um, especially dangerous for the women who are doing the rejecting. And again, we're going into no-duh territory with the news and, and with how often we see um, rejected men get violent. But this is sort of an unbiased test that, that shows that men's propensity to become violent after rejection is definitely there. And I have a 20-something story on this. Um, when we go out in my early 20s, all young men together... And we'd be out drinking in a bar, and there's groups of men, groups of women. There's always a rule we have for a reason. It's called whoever, if you meet up with a group of women and you're talking, whoever the women choose is is what we go with. Yeah. Because what happens is the men get jealous, and the girl likes your buddy, and next thing you know, we're fist fighting in the parking lot. Right. It would happen every night if we didn't have that rule <laughs> that says if Ashley likes David, we all back off. Right. That's we a good rule. Don't get jealous and beat each other up because it would happen. Yeah. Too much testosterone. Too much testosterone. Too much. Too much need to prove yourself after a rejection. Uh, just generally, I think. To but, blame. Yeah. So that leads me to, uh, I, I suppose, our next history point. Um, how in the heck did John win her back? Because because John Gallo, our our. our the shepherd from 1905 he doesn't seem to be having much luck even in his letters like he's sending these polite letters so how does he eventually win her in a word persistence okay he continued to write her he was a gentleman and he always let his intentions know okay those are good rules he'd share his letters sincerely and he'd always follow up, and he always made her sure that it noted his marriage was his intentions. 
So he wasn't trying to sneak in there by by being in the friend zone and pouncing on her at some point. Every every time he could, he he said what he wanted. Yes, being honest and persistent paid off. Okay, and was this reflected in their their correspondence? Well, let me read just a couple of real short letters. Um, now this this whole story started in 1905. Now we're in 1909. Okay, so he has been sending her letters now for like four years. It's not an email thing like we're used to. <laughs> Dear Miss Waxham, there is no use in my fixing up the house anymore, papering, etc., until I know how it should be done. And I won't know that until you see it and say how it ought to be fixed. If you never see it, I don't want it fixed, for I don't want to live here. We could live very comfortably in the wagon while... Our house was being fixed up to suit you. If only you'd say yes, John Love. So right there he's saying, come nest this house. I'm going to build it yeah. for you. I like that. That's, That's very sweet. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want, I'll burn the thing down. Yeah, tell me, tell me how I should decorate this place. That's cool. And this is her response. Dear Mr. Love, suppose that you lost everything that you have and a little more. And suppose that for the best reason in the world, I wanted you to ask me to say yes. What would you do? So basically she's saying, what if I actually said yes? She's coming around five okay. years later. Yeah, f- five years and dozens and dozens of letters later. I bet his hands were shaking when he read this Oh one. my God. Can you imagine that reaction? I'm surprised he didn't walk to Denver. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he did walking into Wyoming. He's yeah, wearing out shoes. Certainly put his time. So this is his response. Dear Miss Waxel, if I were with you, I would throw my arms around you and kiss you and wait eagerly for the kiss that I've waited four years for. John Love. That's awesome. That, so that that's very sweet. That means she does and he does. If you, by the way, these letters are available on PBS.org. Uh, it's from the the West program uh, called PS. Uh, I like you, and it's they're they're all very heartwarming. But that yeah, one, if you in read the last, these, if you read these, you're going to be in a good mood. You can't read this stuff and not smile. Absolutely. We skipped through them, but they're all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that, that he, he eventually won her over by being honest and, and persistent. But they'll be in our show notes and our blog for sure. Very cool. I like that. So we teased up top, and we, we teased it last week too, that we're going to talk about the, um, the incel killer. Um, his name was Elliot Roger. And, and this isn't so much science. We're really just talking about um, uh, how that study that we talked about where men are willing to react aggressively when they are rejected. Why doesn't that always lead to murder, basically? Like, like how are... I mean, like, if the online community, if dating online is rejecting 80% of men regularly, according to that dataclism and, and those online dating studies... How do we not have 80% of online dating males just walking around with shotguns? Like, how are... How, it's, it's the army of resentment and yeah, loneliness, yeah. which is unhealthy, too. Right. It, it would look like the purge if all men were reacting to rejection online, like, like these killers. Um, so, first off, uh, let's talk about Elliot Roger, the incel killer. In 2014, he got bitter and angry, and he talked about how no women wanted to sleep with him. 
So this is the guy that went out in um, uh, Isla Vista, California, and he went on a shooting and stabbing spree. Um, he grew up in privilege. He was the son of a Hollywood filmmaker, and he drove his family's BMW. So he really actually, he had a lot of affluence. He had, he had expectations. Um, he was, uh, basically became for a year or two the poster boy of the rejected male. And people were, were really very concerned that this would breed more online hate. And eventually it did. There's a, another murder who came out. His name was, um, uh, Alec uh, Minasian, and he was um, radicalized basically by misogynist videos online. Um, and, and another fun fact for you: the incel community was started by a woman who was um, invented the term and invented the the website, the first incel website, um, because she wanted a support group for men and women who were being rejected to the point where they didn't have a significant other. Um, so this all started with fairly good intention, but it was hijacked by basically hate groups. Um, there are there are shades of this. So like um, I, I've delved briefly into MGTOW, which is uh, men going their own way. These are men who have decided that they've been rejected so much that they're they're done messing around with women. They think that um, the the whole idea of spending money on on getting a, married and and getting hooked into a contract with a woman. And, and, you know, spending money on dating, it's none of it's worth it. Incel is a little bit more um, volatile. Like, you look at the incel community, and, and it looks a little bit more radical. Um, people talk about being red-pilled online. Um, and there are so many YouTube videos that come up about basically hating women. Like, a lot of this boils down to shades of hating the opposite sex because they have been rejected too much. Um so these people, um, your your Alec uh, Minasian and your Elliot Roger, uh, these people are not your typical rejected people of society. These aren't just men who are are going out and murdering because they got rejected. These really are people who are getting hardened by their rejection. They get radicalized by joining online groups, um, and they they kind of use their own politicized language. They surround themselves by one answer. Like if all their activity online leads them to um, women are the devil for not uh, accepting them, or or they start seeing people uh, um, what what this guy Elliot Roger called women and men who dated. They called him Chads and Stacys, which is a, a sort of a dehumanizing term. To to what's that? They're not aiming their hate at the women who rejected them. It's at just women generally. Women generally, yes. Which is even weirder, too, and even scarier. Scarier, weirder. And, and, They're both scary, but... Uh. Yeah, when he, he, he killed men. Elliot Roger killed both men and women. And, and um, he called them chads, which means guys that are in that top 20%. The guys that all women are hitting on that top 20% are called chads, according to these hate groups. And um, it, it really is more about... Um, these guys aren't learning resilience... They're not learning uh, um, techniques. They're they're not picking up on on you know maybe I should become more socially aware. Um, they're just deciding that they're tired of rejection, and that it's easier if they listen to um, other people who are angry than it is to listen to anything that would be proactive or productive. And our conversation this offline was that we both turn it internally about what's wrong with us. Yeah, I'm not good enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not whatever. Right. You and I uh, point to ourselves and say, what haven't I done right? 
these guys are pointing to women and saying, well, if 80% of women are picking the top 20% of men, there's something wrong with them. And, and their answer to that is to basically get online and be very vitriolic and angry about it. It's disgusting. It's sick. Right. So we don't all have to take the, the Elliot Roger way out. You, you do not have to become angry or radicalized when you, when you get rejected. You really can learn resilience. Um, and, he, and the answer to me, looking at this data, is either become that top 20% for a short time, basically you know, look to yourself for improvement, look to become that top 20%, or get off the internet. Don't be part of that 40% of uh, men and women who find their significant other online. Go looking for yourself in the real world. And that is such a hard thing to say to people my age, millennials, is get offline if you're not finding an answer there. But it really does seem to be a better answer because like we said in the earlier study, using online dating websites and getting rejected constantly destroys your ego. So get really good at something and get on a different roller coaster. Right, exactly. Specialize in something, get get yeah improvement, and then find another venue. So, I I would like to assume that um, it was after our our John Love and Ethel Waxham got together that it was a Disney ending. Um, but I have a, a little bit of a feeling that Todd may be <laughs> spoiling that for us. That well, that's a sad thing about this. this. Is what true love is about. So, she moves in in with him. And okay. becomes a, a rancher with him. Uh, out on Muskrat Creek, they're, they're, they're <laughs> ranchers now. Um, his, his dream for her was to have a prosperous future, to be rich. Big herds of livestock, orchards, fields of grain, lots of money. But their first winter together, um, the Loves lost 8,000 sheep and 50 cattle. Holy cow. Yeah, Ethel had a miscarriage. So their first baby was lost. Um, and then a year later, they rebounded a little bit. They still had some, some property and they still had some some crops and some cattle. They got flooded. She had a baby. They got flooded. They were floating around on the mattresses. So this is in two years. They've had two nat- national natural disasters. Wow. Um, the bankers came. This is the good old days. There was no you know mortgage restructure or whatever. They looked at this ruins. They looked at the land. The house was gone. It was destroyed. And they foreclosed on the property. Oh, wow. So they were homeless. They lost a baby. Um, And after this, John said to her, he said, "Uh, why don't you leave me? I would not blame you. I promised you all these things that I haven't delivered. And she said, I will never leave you. Oh, wow. That is fantastic. So he had to start over. He what he did was, you know, he, a man's a man. He went and he worked as a sheep herder um, for forty dollars a month, which wasn't a lot of money back then either. Right. As the years passed, there were even more setbacks. They had a fire that destroyed a bunch of the ranch buildings. They missed the Wyoming oil boom, so they could have been rich off of oil. Oil came through, and it, all good luck missed them. Just hard times. Jeez. Um, disease took another, they had another hit to all their, they lost another 8,000 sheep. So their, their, their monopoly board is getting wiped out every couple of years, basically. They also had a bank fail. 
So bank went I'm out of business. So they had all their money at Chase, Chase oh. and then it was gone. Oh, so it's not even sad. a natural disaster. It's like literally their money just gets winked out of existence. I don't know why we're laughing. This is a very sad love story. But they stayed together, John and Ethel Love, for 37 years at Muskrat Creek. They didn't. They didn't leave after all the flooding. They watched all their children grow off, go to college, and become very successful. Um, one of their daughters was a chemist. Um, their son Alan was a design engineer, and David became a geologist. So they had a beautiful, successful family, which is what all parents want as true success in the end. That is awesome. That's a good ending. So this is five years of resilience. 37 years of marriage with four kids, 40 disasters that would take down any family. Right. Now, today's standard, we watch a show like The Bachelor, right? They're madly in love, and then guess what? Six months later, they're a divorce court. Right. Together for, within a season, they fall in love. (laughs) Within six months, they're divorced. Yeah. Uh, Before we get to our call to action, would you accept this rose? (laughs) we've come a long way from having to ride 11 hours to the local ranch to hit on the new teacher not to mention the five years of letters before we could score a date now we're dealing with billions of invisible online rejections every day in an industry that thrives on making you feel like you can score if you toughen up when in reality the matches are skewed so that 80% of heterosexual women fight over the top 20% of men. We're told that men shouldn't feel rejection, like our sheep farmer, John Love, when in reality, men feel rejection keenly and they're willing to punish the women who reject them. Likewise, women who get rejected by high-value mates aren't likely to adjust their standards downward like Hollywood portrays. Instead, they're just as likely to double down their own social value spurning both options in the process. The cycle of rejection may seem like it's designed to turn men into monsters, like the incel killers. However, with persistence, we still see 40% of couples meeting online, which means just maybe there's a little John Love and Ethel Waxham in all of us. Clearly, some of us are willing to keep writing those texts long after the other side has stopped answering. You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect to us at www.re-engineeredyou.com where we have research links, show notes, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We also appreciate feedback. We love spirited debates. And if you just want to ghost us by text, you can do that too. (laughs) We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. And speaking of opinions on everything, uh, I've got another review here to read, if you're into it. Please. So here's a five-star review uh, from Nick Garrisimchuk. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Nick, I apologize for butchering your name. Send me the pronunciation. Your Ukraine is better than mine. Yeah. Uh, He wrote, uh, 10 out of 10, one of the few podcasts I listen to for The Voice. It's very inviting, but also well-informative. 
Love the dialogue and how well easy to follow along because it's well organized and straight to the point. One listen got me hooked. Uh, thank you very much, Nick. Thank you. We love you, brother. And we would love to hear from anybody else. Um, leave us a review on Apple Podcast, and we will read it during one of our episodes. Mm-hmm.